Turn with me to the book of Leviticus this morning. We have a, um, a lot to cover. We're going to finish chapter 6, which is a big chunk, but I am going to just read three verses out of that, and then we'll, we'll go back and read in the text as we come to each particular point this morning. We're going to do one of those, but the three verses I'm going to read are going to be verses 27 through 29 of chapter 6. I just I was trying not to laugh uh, while we were in worship because that little Claire just got me chuckling with the, I have a question. Yeah, baby, what is it? I have a rock. So good, right? I just love, it's perfect. Um, I really do. I cherish that kid's time, um, and I love their engagement every, each and every week. So it is a blessing. Let's go ahead and, uh, and read verses 27 through 29 of Leviticus chapter 6. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy, and when its blood is sprinkled on uh, any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken, and if it's boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy." First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His word this morning. Father, we are in awe of You, Lord, as we just sang and confessed, we, we need You. We're in awe of who You are, of who You've revealed Yourself to be in Your word. We're in awe of Your love for us. That's most clearly expressed through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We come before you to confess, as Brother Brad read for us, that we were lost sinners without hope in this world and you rescued us. You have made it the desire of our heart to give you praise and worship in spirit and in truth. You have called us, Father, transferring us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. We thank you, Lord, for this, your word. We pray that you would now open the ears of our hearts that we might see and understand what it is you have for us to learn about you from this passage on the importance of holiness. Lord, we are by nature unholy, prone to neglect, prone to ignore, diminish, and even despise holiness. But I pray for much grace that we might see with fresh eyes the importance of holiness And by your grace, think rightly about what it means to be members of the new covenant to pursue holiness. Father, we give ourselves fully to you that we might be edified and blessed by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, uh, much like we did last week, I'd like to start just by reminding us where we are in the travel through this um, somewhat mysterious, but certainly encouraging and edifying book of Leviticus. We will remember, again, that at the end of Exodus, we saw that picture of the the holy king ascending his holy throne in his holy palace tent, calling before himself his holy servant Moses, whom he called to speak to his holy people, Israel. So, uh, in chapters 1 through 5, and a little bit of chapter 6, he instructs the people on how they are to bring various offerings to him, before him. 
And then in chapter 6, as we started last week, we saw that there's a transition from Israel as a whole now to instructions given to the priests. The Lord began to instruct the priests very specifically about each of those offerings that had been covered in chapters 1 through 5. We looked last week particularly at the burnt offering as it was explained to the priest. And now this morning we're going to cover two more offerings, the grain offering and the purification or sin offering. Now, it strikes me that throughout this passage, you will notice, even from just a superficial reading of it, that holiness is a big concern. It is mentioned no less than five or six times in the text, and that as we get to understand what is actually being communicated here, it's not only mentioned explicitly, but it is implied, just permeated throughout the text. If we're honest, the word holiness has taken on a negative connotation in our culture over the past century or so, even within the church. It's gotten progressively worse, but today one who is holy might be called a holy roller or holier than thou. All negative implications that communicate that someone who is holy is someone who has their nose stuck up in the air. That they are too good for us common folk. They're often considered arrogant and self-righteous. And and look, maybe that's part of the reason why we don't hear much about holiness in the church. Could it possibly be that most of us, if we're honest, don't really feel all that holy? And so a message on holiness would seem to serve to only drum up shame and Reminder that we are often falling far short of that which we've been called to. Yet, the big idea in our text here in Leviticus is that holiness is really, really important. Holiness is really, really important. And as I, as your pastor, am constrained to teach what's in the text... I'll be teaching something today, and that is that holiness is really important. I mentioned long ago in the introduction to Leviticus that one of the primary themes of the book of Leviticus that runs throughout the book is, in fact, holiness. Through the instructions and rituals described in this book, God reveals that He is holy in power and purity. And this holy God makes it crystal clear that His people are to be holy. That every aspect of their lives are to reflect this holiness because holiness is really important. So today in our passage in Leviticus 6 verses 14 through 30, that's what we'll see. We're going to see a tangible expression through the instruction given to the priest about the grain and the purification offering that really serves as an object lesson in holiness. We'll look at three ways the text expresses to us. The importance of holiness. First of all, holiness is really important because holiness is a distinction. Holiness is really important because holiness is a distinction. If we were to start with a with a working definition of what holiness really is, it has to start with being set apart. 
It refers to something, someone, someplace, or even some time that has been set apart before the Lord and for His purposes. Often, it's for a specific task or purpose. It's often contrasted with with common things. So, for instance, there were common Israelites, and then there were the priests. The priests had been set apart from the Israelites to serve and minister before the throne of God in the place of the palace tent. The priests were distinct from the rest of Israel. Of course, it's really appropriate to say that Israel themselves would also be holy in this way, right? Israel as a people, they were set apart from the rest of humanity to serve the only true and living God. Therefore, holiness implies that the object, person, place, or time belongs to someone. And this is important, therefore. It means that holiness implies ownership. Holiness implies ownership. It's not just a matter of ownership. right? We all own many things, don't we? But that doesn't make them holy. What makes it holy is the holiness of the one who owns it. When somebody wholly sets apart that object, person, place, or time, it becomes holy. Just picture this illustration. This is a faulty one, but follow along with me. It's kind of like a, like a spoon. If you just took a common spoon from our house, which we all have in our kitchen, it would be just that. Common, right? There would be nothing unique or special about that. But if he ever responds to my fan mail and Trevor Lawrence joins my house for lunch one day, right? Quarterback for the AFC South champion Jacksonville Jaguars. If he comes to eat lunch at my house and he chose one spoon out of the bunch of spoons and said, this is my special spoon. I'm going to take this spoon to me every road game as I obliterate the NFL with my rocket arm and mesmerize defenses with my golden hair. This is getting weird. Um, Every team meal, I'm going to use this special spoon. That spoon, therefore, would become unique. It would be special. I'm not going to say it would be holy. But it would certainly be set apart. It was common, but its association with its new owner makes it set apart. Do you see? Making it distinct from other spoons. So therefore, at the heart of holiness is relationship. So holiness implies ownership, but at the heart of holiness is relationship. One's relationship specifically to the Lord... It is at the end of the day, grounded and dependent on one's relationship to the Holy King. What was once common is now brought into a special relationship with the Holy King and therefore is distinct, holy. And, but how does that happen, you might ask? What is the means or method by which they become holy? Well, in the Old Testament, people and things were made holy through covenants and rituals. Through covenants and rituals. We're having a breakdown on the the front row because daddy's going too fast with the points up here on the sermon. But it's going to be okay. You're doing great, little man. Just hang in there. (laughs) Old Testament, most often, is people when things were made 
holy through covenants and rituals. It probably didn't help that I chose all the big words to be the fill in the blanks. So covenants were the primary way, especially in regards to people where they would become holy unto the Lord. So, so common people would be set apart through a special relationship that makes them distinct. And this was Israel's experience at Mount Sinai, wasn't it? As we mentioned earlier, they were a common people. Yes, they were children of Abraham, but their experience as people were a people who were enslaved in Egypt. And then the Lord calls them, He rescues them, brings them unto Himself. And what does He do? He establishes a special covenant with them where the, whereby they become a holy nation. So people and things were made holy through covenants, but also rituals. There were these rituals that would take place in And they would take these things and people and make them holy. Sacrifices or anointing with oil or blood, bathing, changing of clothes, any of these things, if done according to the prescription and command of the Lord, could make someone or something holy. And so this definition of holiness is something or someone who has been made distinct by being set apart for the Lord, brought into a special relationship. It reminds us that our holiness is actually derived, it's dependent on the Lord Himself. It is not natural to us. Someone else has to set the thing or person apart. And ultimately, it's not going to get any easier, sorry, why I'm, gonna, I'm in so much trouble later. Um, ultimately, holiness is contingent and dependent. Just go ahead and write that one for him. Uh, holiness is contingent and dependent. What do I mean by that? Ultimately, the holiness of the priest specifically was contingent and dependent. I emphasize this because this is something that serves in contrast with the Lord himself. Right? We understand that. The Lord is holy by his very nature, isn't he? His holiness is not dependent, but he is holiness. The Lord was never made holy. He is and will always be Holy. In Leviticus, there's a, there's a focus on His holiness, specifically in power and purity. God alone is omnipotent. He alone can do whatever He pleases. He's the sovereign of the universe, reigning in the camp of Israel, over Israel. But the Lord is also morally pure. He does no wrong. As Jesus himself said, God alone is good. There is no darkness in him. He is moral perfection. God is holy. Derek Tidball, one commentator, writes this. He says, in his being, God is altogether different from the people he has made and so separate from them. He alone is immortal in nature, all-powerful in majesty, all-knowing in wisdom, all-present in creation, and without exception or qualification, morally pure. God's revelation of Himself in the words, I am holy, is the fundamental premise on which Leviticus is built. So if this is so, is it any wonder why holiness is so important? God is holy... And that which is holy is set apart for him. It belongs to him distinctly and should therefore be treated as such. So our passage today emphasizes the importance of holiness. In fact, look at verses 16 through 18 uh, with me of chapter 6. It says, And the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. 
I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And so we, we remember long ago in chapter 2, the grain, whole, the grain offering was considered most holy. But, but notice specifically in verse 16 of chapter 6, he says, I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. Then verse 18, concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. See, the grain offering was holy because it belonged to the Lord. It didn't just belong to anyone. It belonged to the creator of the universe. Therefore, it was up to him to decide how the offering was to be handled. But it's not just in the explicit statements that tell us the grain offering is holy. The whole passage in verses 16 through 18 communicates the holiness of this offering. It was to be eaten by who? By Aaron and his sons only. Specifically by the males among the children of Aaron. That is, those who have been set apart as holy. This holy offering could only be eaten by holy people in a holy place. These holy things were to be treated, therefore, with extreme care. They were to be used exactly how the Lord instructed them. In fact, all of these details and instruction served to communicate to the priest that the whole ritual was to be performed with exactitude. Why? Because holiness is really important. After all, verse 18 says, everyone who touches them must be holy. That, that's clearly, by the way, the way it's, it's communicated to us is clearly a warning. Guard this holy offering. Use it as the Lord prescribed. Do not, I repeat, do not treat it flippantly. I'm not a a great artist, by the way, which we've talked about before. I just, I don't have the ability. We we had Addie's appointment this week and there's an artist there at Wolfson's that comes and draws with a kid and she was instantly hooked. And she drew all of these pictures. And I just don't like, I don't have a process for how someone can do that. Like it's not... You ever have a quality that you're just like, that's foreign to me. I don't know how anybody can just draw something and it look good. Um, Unless they're doing stick figures, then I totally understand what that's like. But but, but the reality is, we've talked about this before, right? I'm not a great artist. But even if I were a decent artist, there'd be a huge difference between my paintings and Picasso's. Which I only use because he's one of the four artists I know. Now, if I were to take a piece of paper and I painted a picture for you, maybe because I, I painted it and I'm your pastor and you may be fond of me at times, you might treat it with some amount of respect and keep it, right? But at the end of the day, if you need a piece of scrap paper or you're just in dire need of making a paper airplane, no one's going to be super offended if you make one out of my painting. It's just not that important. Now, if Picasso were to paint you a painting, and he's dead, right? I think he's dead. But if you had one of Picasso's paintings, and you decided to use it as a scrap paper, or fold it into a paper airplane, that would be a huge mistake. Picasso's paintings are distinct from mine. His paintings deserve greater respect and should be handled with greater care. So also must we Christians handle God's holy things with the utmost care. 
So, so no, we no longer practice the rituals of the Old Testament. No, we no longer have to handle holy offerings and things set apart for the palace tent. Yet, as we've discussed many times, church family, God's people are holy. There are many holy things in this very room with us right now. In fact, 1 Corinthians, we read our children are holy. How we treat them, the care we show for them, how we speak to them is of utmost importance. It's not to be taken lightly. We are to show great care, respect, and concern for that which God calls holy. And if you're in Christ, you've been made holy. You're being made holy, yes, but you've been declared to be holy in His sight. Therefore, church family, we are to take special care on how we treat one another. But holiness is not only important because it is a distinction, it's also important because it's a temptation. Holiness is really important, not only because it's a distinction, but also because it's a temptation. Now, you could take that too far, right? God, God's holiness, God is holy, and, and He's never tempted, certainly, nor does He tempt anyone, according to the Scriptures. But I want to explain to you why I said that holiness is a temptation. Look with me in uh, verse 19 of our text. Verse 19, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed, one-tenth of ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So, so the Lord's already instructed the priest on how to handle the grain offerings. Now the Lord says, Moses, explain this to the priest. They too need to offer grain offerings every single day. Morning and evening. On behalf of who? On behalf of themselves. That's what's being said here. That, that's why it is up to the high priest to offer it because it was being offered on behalf of the priests themselves and the whole of it was to be burnt. Notice again verse 23, for every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned, it shall not be eaten. It was to cost them something. It was an offering on their behalf and they were not to benefit from that in any way. So, so we looked at that before. You see, the, the Lord was teaching the priest a critical lesson. They, the priest, are distinct by their calling, not by their merit. The priests were holy, but they still needed to seek the Lord's favor because it was the Lord who had set them apart. They did nothing to merit becoming a priest. They had no special status before the Lord other than what the Lord had bestowed upon them by His grace. And so they were to begin the day offering an offering on, behalf, on their behalf, and they were to close their day by offering an offering on their behalf. The temptation for holy people, and why I call it a temptation, and I'm talking about as Christians here, by the way, especially for leaders, 
is we are tempted to think either too low of others and too highly of ourselves. That, that's the temptation. We are tempted to think too lowly of others and too high of ourselves. That's a constant temptation, by the way. We, we have to admit that it is. Look, it, it, it's kind of like a, a picture of a king finding a group of thieves. And, and he chooses out of that group a smaller group of thieves. Brings them into his holy palace to serve them um, before him day and night. And the, the smaller group of thieves might be tempted to think pretty highly of themselves after spending a lot of time in the king's palace in his really fine clothes ministering before the holy king. It's tempting to think that we're morally superior, that we somehow deserved all the Lord has bestowed upon us. But, but don't be naive. The temptation is constantly there. Emmett Clark? About to have some interdisciplinary times here at church. Okay. Think about this. We are tempted as well to fall into hypocrisy. So we're tempted to think too low of ourselves, too high of others, but we're also tempted in that sense to fall into hypocrisy. And, and here's the thing. Is thinking too high of ourselves and too low of others and hypocrisy, they're never really divided. They're always interconnected. Always. It's like that very same thief going out among all the thieves and telling them, listen, you better obey every dot and tittle or off with your head. The king's coming after you. It's to forget that holiness is by calling and not merit always. And so what were the lessons for the priest as they would have seen this and been reminded of this? Here are the lessons. Quite simply, first, it's to acknowledge their need. To acknowledge their need. They were no less needy than the Israelites whom they helped offer these sacrifices. Remember, you're talking about priests. Just, just get your mind into what they had to do. They're ministering before the Lord in His altar day in and day out. They're handling people's sin offerings, their guilt offerings. And with that, remember, there was usually some type of confession as these people are offering their offerings. Here, this sin offering is for this. This guilt offering is for this. I mean, let's be honest. If you listen to confessions all day long, if that was your job... It would be really easy to think very highly of yourself. It's like watching the news all day, right? Just watching what's going on in Washington all day long. Watching what's going on in our local area all day long. Because they only report like the worst of things that possibly could happen. Watching all that crazy stuff that's out there and thinking, man, my family's normal. <laughs> Newsflash, your family is not normal. <laughs> You are not normal. You aren't different from anything you see out there except by God's grace. That's it. But it was not only to acknowledge their need, it was also to cultivate humility. It was to cultivate humility. They were to serve humbly, gratefully, to cherish the opportunity they had to serve the Lord and the Israelites in this way. They were to cultivate humility. H-U-M-I-L-I-T-Y. And finally, they were to honor the Lord. They were to honor the Lord. That was their purpose. It was not for their own honor, but for the Lord's. 
I mentioned that at the beginning, but this is especially relevant to leaders. I need you to hear this. If you aspire to leadership among God's people, the take-home point is this. If you want to lead, you need to be the lead follower of Jesus Christ. You need to recognize that you do not serve on a pedestal and you never will. Instead, you are walking with others, attempting to, by God's grace, be the chief follower. This isn't just for elders or our our servant deacons. It's, It's for all of us that have any kind of role of leadership in the church. Mothers as they lead children. Husbands as they lead homes. In all of these roles, we need to acknowledge our need is no less than those whom we're serving. We cultivate humility and we honor the Lord by being the chief followers of Christ. That means dad... You're not the God of your home. God is the God of your home. You're the chief follower of the Lord in your home. That means elders, myself included, and there's only one other here, we're not the Lord of the church. The Lord is the Lord of His church. We're the chief followers in the church. And so we must... Cultivate humility, acknowledge our need, and honor the Lord Jesus. Holiness is not only really important because it's a distinction. It's not also very important because it's a temptation. Third and finally, the reality is holiness is really important because it's a threat. It is. You might be thinking, how in the world do you get holiness as a threat? Well, follow along with me. In fact, let's go ahead and, and read verses 24 through 30. Close of our text. Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering, and the place where the burnt offering is killed. The sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessels in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. It's easy to read those instructions and just kind of cruise right over them, isn't it? Just not really see much there. But the reality is, is friends, this, the text I just read, it's not a suggestion. Ultimately, what this text is, is a dire warning. These details are important, and they actually have life and death implications. Garments splashed with blood of a most holy offering were not to be worn in common places. They need to be washed in a holy place before that garment goes anywhere. An earthenware vessel that had cooked a most holy offering was to be broken. I mean, catch this. Why why wouldn't they just scrub it like they could scrub... The bronze kettle, because it's porous. What if it had the blood soaked into it? You didn't get all the blood out and you used it for something common? See, the threat was real. It could be disastrous. Don't take any chances. Break it. Destroy it. A bronze vessel is to be scrubbed and rinsed. Do not mix what is holy with what's common. Great care is to be taken. Holiness is important because holiness is a threat. And and we don't often think of holiness in those terms. 
But God's holiness is a threat to sinful, impure, morally culpable creatures. Very much. Do you understand that? God is holy. He is perfectly just. Which means there's very few things that God cannot do. He cannot, by his very nature, tolerate sin and ungodliness. God cannot do that. To tolerate sin and ungodliness would make him less than perfectly just or morally pure. That is, it would not make him holy, and that's an impossibility. So, um, it's kind of like uh, a movie I watched way too many times as a, as a child. It's one of those movies where I grow up thinking, this is not really for kids. I don't know why I was allowed to watch this, but uh, it's the movie uh, Never Ending Story. Has anybody ever heard of Refer to that, yes. It's a movie I saw no less than 150 times when I was a kid, which probably makes a lot of sense. Um, but uh, it's a story of a, uh, of a kid named Atreyu. He's a child in the story. He's on a journey to save Fantasia from the nothing. And, and he comes to this point where he has to pass through this gate with no doors. And, and guarding the gate are two huge cherubim-looking statue things that have eyes that shoot laser beams out and destroy anything that attempts to pass through. Now... The way to get through that gate was to be confident and not doubt yourself. If you feared it all or doubted yourself, those things would sense it and they'd shoot laser beams out of their eyes and destroy you. Mind you, the way through was littered with people who only made it so far before being scared and got themselves laser beamed. It's a real realistic story. Um, So Atreyu, the young boy, must make his way through. Now, in our text, it's really just the opposite, right? If we're talking about going into the presence of God, interacting with God's holiness, friends, we don't need courage or confidence. We actually need fear and trembling. (laughs) We don't need to disregard the danger. We need to acknowledge it. In fact, if we were not in Christ... It would be utterly insane to approach God's holy throne. I mean, guys, remember, we're we're Gentiles here. We are those outside of the covenant people of Mount Sinai who have really no way to atone for our sin in and of ourselves. To go before the Lord expecting anything other than to receive His full and other wrath would be ludicrous. So, So hear me, anyone here this morning who hears my voice and knows they're not in Christ, realize that the holiness of God is not a pleasant and heartwarming thing for you. It is a threat every moment that you live. Your only hope is to cry out to the Lord and be found in Him. Ask the Lord for that grace, for the trust in Christ, for salvation. Turn and repent from your sin. And I implore you to do that because holiness is a threat. If you had to face the Lord alone, His holiness would be the very fuel that drives His wrath to destroy you. But praise God that there's hope and grace in His Son Jesus. That Jesus was perfectly holy, yet willingly went to the cross to absorb, to take the full wrath of God on your behalf. So the Lord taught the Israelites through this passage to take extreme caution for that which is holy. Listen, Christ is holy. 
In his earthly life, he was distinct, set apart unto God the Father from conception until death. He remained distinct. He fulfilled the whole law for his people and died for our sins to justify us and sanctify us. And because of that once for all sacrifice, we who trust in Christ now have been set apart. We have been made most holy in Christ. And it's not through our works or our merit, but through God's effectual calling And so we belong to Christ and we live for Christ. And those who follow him live lives that strive and pursue holiness. We cannot ignore the importance of holiness. Holiness is really important. Yes, there's been a seismic shift since the coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, unlike Israel, we are no longer under the law. Unlike Israel, we are no longer concerned with rituals, with the external, with working for God's favor, not fearing being cut off from God's people. Praise God. Yes, yet we still must be concerned with holiness. In fact, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to this place we don't go near often enough. It's called the New Testament. It's in the other half of the Bible. We do turn there every week for those who are visiting. I'm just teasing you. We just... Happen to be preaching through Old Testament books right now. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read a chunk here from verses 14 to the first verse of chapter 7. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore... Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Is holiness important? Concern for holiness does not diminish under the new covenant. That's one thing I want you to take away. I think I put that in the application point, but it's important. In fact, you can write in after that. Concern for holiness does not diminish under the new covenant. It actually expands. Your concern for holiness should expand under the new covenant, not merely diminish. It actually deepens. Because we've been made holy in Christ, therefore, we're to be holy. So, so here's the question, is, is what does that look like? I want to close just briefly with saying, okay, yeah, be holy, be concerned with holy, but how? Like what are, because in the Old Testament they had like a very clear instruction, like these are the things, do these things. What's our very clear instruction? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter agrees with Paul and he reminds us, I believe we have these up on the, on the screen here. He reminds us in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance... But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, 
for I am holy. Guess what he's quoting there? Leviticus, good. So here's, here's our temptation. Our temptation is to think in the idea of what to do in the holiness is, is simply in the idea of the external. This is always our temptation. Well, I mean, being holy has to do with the kind of music you listen to. Right? Being holy has to do with how you dress. Pastor Cody's looking kind of holy today, right? Because his shirt might actually be wrinkled for once, or not wrinkled for once. Probably is wrinkled. It has to do with the type of service or church meeting we hold. That's, the, that's our temptation. We think only in the external. We're constantly tempted to look at these outward things and think that they somehow correlate with our holiness. But what does holiness look like according to the Word of God? Listen to this. In this very same section, Peter is exhorting the church to holiness. He writes this in verse 22 of chapter 1. He says, Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Skipping to chapter 2, verse 1. This is really a description of what it looks like. Listen. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. See, this is an exhortation to love one another. Love one another how? Put away malice, yes. Put away your hatred from one another, yes. Your bitterness for one another, yes. Let not a bitter root spring up from among you. Put away evil speaking, your lying. There's no place for it here in the community. Put away your hypocrisy, your, your envy, your deceitfulness. But, but hear me out. This isn't a checklist. Like Peter's not giving you a checklist here. He's giving you a picture of what our love for one another should look like. He's given you a picture of a love that is pure and that is ultimately the product of God's grace in Christ. Because of this type of love is only possible as the Holy Spirit works His grace into our life through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is. So as the writer of Hebrews exhorts in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let's do that one again. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So my conclusion, dare to be a holy roller. Dare to be holier than thou. Not in the sense that people mean it when they say it about you, but here's the way to combat that, right? Because a lot of us were stuck in this sort of area where every time we, we really put on holiness, um, we, we're chastised for it, and they may call us that or treat us that way, and we don't know how to bridge that barrier. Here's how. Here's how you bridge the barrier between uh, being holy and being perceived as too holy to be approachable in any way, shape, or form. Let your love for people shame them when they call you out. That's how. You want to really dispel the rumor that you're a holy roller and you're self-righteous? You love the fire out of people. (laughs) Let your love for people so drive and motivate all that you do that you're willing to love people, and I mean all people, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, in a way that honors our Father. Pursue holiness. God has made us to be distinct in Christ. And so be distinct. Let our lives be marked by love for God and His people. Friends, this is the call for our church. This is how we pursue holiness. It has to start with our love for each other. 
in, look, in, in this covenant community, I'm talking about within the walls of this building, your love for each other. Not, the, not just the ones, by the way, who are really easy for you to love. But the ones who are part of our community fellowship here at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables. You want to know why church membership is so important? It's because it tells you who exactly to love. <laughs> it, it gives you a primary love towards those. Yes, we love all people. But as Paul says, we love particularly those of the household of faith. You know what Paul's talking about there? He's talking about a local church. So you are called to love one another. In what way? In what way are you displaying this kind of love? I'm so tempted just to roll out worship grow serve right here. But you know it. Examine your life in that way. What way are you displaying love for God's people? And if so, could you really say that you're really pursuing holiness? And if you're not pursuing holiness, then you have to ask, do I really view that holiness is really, really important? It certainly is. Would you stand with me as we close? Gracious Father, we thank you that we who are in Christ have been made holy by calling, not by merit. That we have nothing to earn. Our holiness is secure in Christ. We've been set apart. We do not fear, as Israel once did, fear being cut off. We do not fear being abandoned, Lord. Our calling, our calling is sure. Christ will keep us. But Father, we pray that we wouldn't be tempted to think less of holiness because of that. Instead, we pray that by your grace we would think more of holiness. That we might live lives that are truly set apart and let our love for one another be the litmus test for that very holiness. We pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated, church. Bubster, how'd you do? Good? Okay. All right. No handwriting today. All right. Just math, phonics, reading, and spelling. Other than that, it'll be good. Um, church family, it's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord, hasn't it? Um, uh, I, I'm thankful to see this church growing in these particular ways. And I think there's a... a there's a great correlation between that we see between our holiness and our love for one another. It's interesting that as we grow in our love for one another, we're growing into holiness. And as we grow into holiness, we're growing in our love for one another. As a pastor, that's a privilege to see, but let us never be con- content, right, with holiness. Let's always be pursuing and striving to be made more like Christ according to his image. Um, if you are in Christ this morning, that's the application. Very simple, encouraging for you. What tangible ways can you begin to love um, each other deeper? Um, and I think I really do think worship, grow, serve is an opportunity for you that, that you can examine by that very lens and how you are not only worshiping together, um, growing together, but serving each other. And uh, let that be an encouragement. Listen, particularly our, our, our kids um, in our kids' ministry, we have multiple opportunities for you to serve in our student ministry, our kids' ministry. Uh, there is service opportunities aplenty. And, um, and remember, last week we dedicated these children and committed to the Lord 
that we were going to assist these parents. I can't think of a better way to assist these parents than, than investing the gospel into their children. Um, and so uh, I know that not every, the nursery is not for everybody, and I understand that, but there are opportunities for you to serve. Uh, each and every one of you, we have opportunities. And so uh, dig down deep to how that is expressed in your life and let it be a reflection of your love for one another. Uh, for those of you who aren't in Christ here this morning, and I don't want to presume that everybody is, um, but if you don't know yourself to be a Christian, then you must understand that the holiness of God is a threat to you. But think about this. Think about the beauty of the gospel and Jesus dying for your sins. And he, he makes you into the very thing that was threatening. <laughs> like he conforms you in such a way that you are no longer seen as a threat to the king of kings, but you are seen as a son, as a child, as an heir to the throne of his majesty. It's a remarkable thing to consider and it all took place because of the love of Jesus because of him displaying his love for others on the cross, bringing honor and glory to the Father by living a perfect life and dying the death that you and I deserved on the cross of Calvary, where the Father poured out the just, righteous wrath for sin upon his Son and gave, him the, gave us the gift of his righteousness, that if we were to turn from our sins, to repent of our sins, and place our faith and full trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation then we can become part of the family of God. And we can be set apart and distinct in holiness for His glory, to live lives that honor Him. It's a beautiful gospel message. And if you're here today and you don't really quite understand what that means for you, you're just wrestling, have some questions, or maybe you today want to... um, want to pursue Christ and trust Him with your life, then we have men down front who would love to talk with you about that um, and encourage you and pray for you any way we can. And maybe, church family, you're here and you're struggling just with loving each other. You've got some animosity between brothers and sisters in the church. Um, I, I pray first and foremost that the Lord would stir your heart to want to heal. And then after that, we work together to see in what ways can we love each other better according to the Scriptures.